Good people, it's your boy CZ here, and this is an episode of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at C's Says C E A S E S A Y S. What's good, people? It is that time. The game we have anticipated above all other games since the season started to take shape, and it became clear that we could be on the cards of doing something special. But before we get into all of that, let's just take a moment to marvel at Spurs. Now look, if you think I won't laugh at a team conceding an early goal on the way to dropping points in a key game that they need to win to achieve their ambitions for the season, given what happened to us at home against Southampton, then buddy, you do not know how this all works. Now look, in honour of St. Day, Spurs were gracious enough to get absolutely pummeled 6-1 by Newcastle conceding five in 20 minutes. So say what you want about our last three fixtures, but between that and the collapse at Bournemouth, that's a special kind of Spursy. Now look, between the hilarity of the goals, Jacob Murphy's face when he scored that screamer, Hugo Lloris yet again displaying why he's no longer a top keeper, Sanchez being subbed on for Saar inside 30 minutes despite himself last week being a sub who was subbed off while being booed by his own fans, not to mention Spurs sacking their manager, hiring their assistant as an interim, and then sacking their assistant, and then hiring the assistant's assistant to be installed as an interim. You just cannot compete with that level of Spursy. Now, look, let's not forget the last time they uh, brought in Ryan Mason was when they brought him in as an interim, firing Jose Mourinho right before a cup final, which they then went on to, of course, duly lose because they're Spurs. I say all of this not just to mock Spurs. I want to be clear. It is to mock Spurs, but it's not just to mock Spurs. But to also remind us all how quickly things can change. Look, point in case, the last time we played Manchester City, our starting eleven was Leno, Cedric, Chambers, Holding, Gabriel, Kalasinak, Shaka. Erdegaard, Smith-Rowe, Saka and Aubameyang. We have come a long way in a year, so imagine where we could be by this time next year. So sorry, I just had to get that out of the way because Spurs losing 6-1 to Newcastle, conceding 5 in 20 minutes. There is no way you thought we were going to go through this entire uh, podcast and that not be brought up. But now that we've got that out of the way, on to the matter at hand, the matter that counts. Arsenal travelling away to Manchester City in the league. The crunch title match between us in first place, them in second place, them with two games in hand. This is the fixture, probably above all fixtures, that I think everybody had in mind to gauge how this side has progressed. Now, one of the things that really bothers me this season is this will be the third time that we play Manchester City. And at no point in any of these fixtures, have we had our starting 11 available? 
it's it's infuriating that our sort of preferred starting eleven have not all been fully fit at the same time any of the occasions when we we play them. But that's football. That's life. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have suspensions. You have to deal with them. So let's be clear. We don't factually have to actually beat City to win the league. Not factually. But given the number of games left, their games in hand, who they're against, you'd think it would be all but impossible for us to do it if we don't beat Manchester City. Now, by all accounts, they've got some relatively straightforward fixtures coming up. You know, the Soccer Power Index rankings by 538 say that Man City have the fifth easiest running compared to us who have the eighth. And they go into this form in great fucking form, let's be clear. You know, they eased past Sheffield United 3-0 on the weekend to reach the FA Cup final. You know, we saw that Man United beat uh, Brighton in, on penalties, so it'll be an all-Manchester uh, derby for the FA Cup final, which, let's be real, given, you know, the injuries that Manchester United have and the overall quality difference between the two sides, you'd be surprised by anything other than a Man City win, but that game isn't until after the season's over. Um, surprisingly, one thing I didn't realise is that they've only reached two FA Cup finals in 10 years. Um, so it kind of tells you that the FA Cup is usually the competition they sack off when they're going for everything else. Um, speaking of the Champions League, they of course beat Bayern to get to the semi-finals against Champions League royalty, Real Madrid, in the trophy that we all know and they have openly admitted they want above all else. Pep Guardiola said it, he was brought here to win the Champions League. Erling Horden said it, I was brought here to win the Champions League. They all know what competition matters to them the absolute most. That doesn't mean, though, they aren't going to try and win every fucking competition they're in. They're currently on a 16-game unbeaten run in all competitions, winning 13 of them. They've won six in a row in the league. For us, despite suffering three draws in a row, we're not in terrible form ourselves. We're unbeaten in 10 league games, though we haven't won in three. It's the last few weeks that have really started to show the apparent cracks that people think are starting to appear. You know, in the two two draws of West Ham and Liverpool, we let you know successive two league two goal leagues slip, uh, two goal leads slip. Sorry, and that's the first time we've done that in the Premier League, you know. And that's before we then went on to concede two early goals against Southampton before managing to salvage a late point to keep you know our hopes alive in the league. So look, some people think it's pressure from Arteta's point of view. He doesn't seem to think so. He thinks it's about efficiency in key moments, and there's some argument for that. I know it doesn't really fit the narrative and the eye test kind of says to us, we see things that we regularly associate with players cracking under pressure, right? But you can kind of look at it the way that Arteta sees it. Um, Jesus had a couple chances in the Liverpool game he didn't take. Saka had the missed penalty at West Ham. Trossard hits the bar at Southampton. It's small margins. We're talking inches. So on the one hand, you could say those things happened because the players felt the pressure. On the other hand, you could say well, actually, these are professional athletes. They do this stuff a million times, and on occasion, they don't get the technique right. And so, who's to, who's to say, really? But for us, being able to to um, pull the last game back 3-3 after, you know, nearly going down to a defeat 3-1, it, show, it shows that if the players are feeling any kind of pressure, it's not stopping them from coming back and fighting 
for something, right? It's not like we've completely capitulated. Look at Spurs on the weekend, right? I brought up that 6-1 loss. The first 20-odd minutes of that game, that was capitulation. They just crumbled, absolutely crumbled. So that's not the case with us. So it tells me that whatever pressure the players might be feeling, they definitely haven't given up. And with Chelsea and Newcastle um, to come up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to need to find some solutions to the problems we're having, whether those be tactical, personnel, whether those be pressure, whatever it is, we're going to need to think of solutions and quickly. So that starts with this fixture, this game against Man City, that we are all desperate to win. We are absolutely desperate to win. Now look, they've won all six games against us under Guardiola with an aggregate score of 17-3. to before this game, our average win percentage for this game is about 17%. Um, so nobody really thinks we can do it, or at least that we have a very, very small chance of doing it. The fact, though, is we play City three times this season. This is the third time we'll be playing them. To win silverware, to win the league, we really need to beat them at least once. If we can't beat City once, do we really have any business saying we're the best team in this league? I don't think we do, personally. Now... If we lose to City and they go on a horrendous run in the league and we end up winning it because they've, you know, chucked it in chasing the Champions League, then yes, by the end of the season, if we lift the Premier League trophy, however we've got there, we've done it. But I do think there is something to be said for beating the champions to be the champions. And so we have that opportunity. I don't think this is something the players should run from or be scared of. I think it's something they should relish and anticipate, though the circumstances of it might mean they're not going into it with with as much confidence as they would have, say, pre-Liverpool. Now, the whole mentor-protégé discussion about Pep and um, Arteta is an obvious one, but I think there's enough time and distance now to the point where we can put that to one side. They've both spoken about their relationship and how good it is, but the fact is that they're both busy, they're both managing elite sports clubs, So realistically, they don't talk as much as they used to. I think there's this idea that they're both really pally-pally. They're on the phone to each other every night, giggling about tactics and blah, blah, blah. You know, by all accounts, it sounds like the last time they spoke was the last time the two teams played. So that whole mentor-protege thing, we can put that. We can put that to one side. For me personally, you know, tactically, both these managers are special source. We know about Pep. We know about his vintage. We know about his history, both around the world and in European, European competitions with Barcelona. So he, his, his reputation, his ability is beyond question at this point. For me, I'm convinced Arteta can do special things in the game. If he makes the right moves, goes to the right clubs at the right times, I can see him going to the very top of the game and managing the best clubs in the world. I, I definitely can. But he has a long way to go to prove that. Factually, I think what he's done at Arsenal is remarkable. I genuinely think there should be case studies about how he's gone and done it. Um, People might think about eighth, eighth, fifth and say, why the hell is he saying that? I think what you have to think about is the reality and the practicality of what the day-to-day job would entail when he comes in, taps his key card on the door opens and he's faced with all this stuff and he's got to turn it around in the middle of COVID players basically mutiny, leaks in the dressing room, financial disarray, all of the interpersonal problems he would have faced. He's a person, these are human beings, he's going into a workplace to fix this and then has to go out in front of 60,000 people every week and get these players to perform to above a level that they they haven't performed at 
for the last five years, the practicality of the job he's done in this in in the time he's been here is remarkable, and I think it's a testament to how good he is. But none of that will matter if he can't win the big trophies. None of that will matter if he can't do it when those sixty thousand people are watching. And so that's the next thing for him, right? The first step is getting over Pep. He's done it already in the FA Cup. We saw, you know, semi-final FA Cup win. Back then, Arteta played three at the back. He had a Bamiang, you know, peak of Bamiang scoring two goals in a two-goal win. So he's had that experience before. But that's a comp- that's a cup competition. We know there's variance with those. A Bamiang, golden boot winner at the time. He doesn't have that now. You know, he has a remarkable centre forward in Gabriel Jesus, but not one who's remotely prolific. If anything, he the the chronic underperformer in terms of XG, but a sensational player nonetheless, and contributes massively to other players scoring, the likes of Martinelli and Saka. So yeah, look, we we know what we have to do. We know how big this game is. So the question is, what next? Well, for me, we can talk about tactics, inverted fullbacks, centre-backs in central midfield, but games can turn on VAR decisions, individual brilliance, individual errors. There are so many different things that can impact whether a team goes on to do what they need to do to win these games. So with all of that in mind, what our test is going to be working towards is getting these players to play like champions. Now, this is the part of the show where I say it's time for us to show that we have what it takes to be champions. Again, I think it's safe to say that these players have demonstrated they have the ability to be champions. They have the ability. I think what this game, this game is about is demonstrating that they have the quality to make it happen. It's one thing being able to do it. It's another thing actually doing it. And I think this is the part of the season where it has to go from the theoretical to the practical. It's not about them theoretically being good enough. It's about them stepping onto the pitch and proving they are. And no amount of injuries or suspensions or illness or whatever the case may be gets in the way of that. Because if if the argument is, but for this injury, we would have won, then you're not good enough to win. It's that simple because injuries can happen. Now, you can't account for every single first team player in your squad getting injured and whatever else. That's fine. And we know about the disparity in wealth and the money that they've spent and the situation they're in. We know all of that. It's what makes what we're doing so remarkable because they are racking up record points. This isn't like the early to mid-90s where teams are winning titles with 80 points and 79 points and 82 points. To win the league now, you're talking 90 plus points. You have to do something remarkable. Otherwise, City are winning the league. They won four out of the last five. So it's not a question that these guys are failures and they're rubbish and they're bottle jobs if they don't do it. It's just that to do it, you have to achieve a sensational, sensational level of ability. The Liverpool sides of the last five years achieved record numbers. They had multiple players bagging 20 to 30 goals a season. They still could only do it once out of the five. So really, you need an incredible amount of luck with your injuries and suspensions and you need your players to be on it pretty much for the entire season. Now, our players have been on it almost for the entire season. New year blip, the most, you know, spring blip. But really, it's now about the crunch time. In spite of the injuries and the illnesses, can we get over the line? Can we devise a strategy? Do we have a plan to get over this hurdle so that we can go on and win this league? That is the question. Now, 
you know, there are some dark corners in the net where people are mad at Arteta that he hasn't kicked on further and faster. But I just don't think that was ever realistic, no matter how, you know, impatient people are. And the thing is, fans have a right to be impatient. Fans don't have to be patient. Fans don't have to be anything. What fans should do is support the club, absolutely. Support the players, by all means, get behind them, give them your backing. But if fans want to not demand the Champions League and Premier League, and fans can do that, you know. But the reality is we were miles behind, miles behind. I don't think people appreciate how far behind we were. I think people think, oh, these players, you know, were bad, but the two eighth place finishes were unconscionable. I think we were almost worse than those eighth place finishes, personally. I I don't think, looking at the com- the squad comprehension, the squad composition at the time, I, I look, at, look at it back at it now, go back to those seasons where we finished eighth and look at our squad. You can see how those teams finished eighth. Um, because those players didn't fit and some of them were just terrible. We were miles behind, particularly when you look at the standard of the teams finished first, second, or third. We were miles behind. And so when you're miles behind, every step forward you take, the teams ahead of you are improving too. So you take a step forward, they take a step forward. So for us to go past them, not only do we need constant progress, and progress is very, very rarely linear. You know, you're going to have plateaus and dips. It's very rarely a straight line to progress. But to get past your opponents who are already miles ahead of you, not only do you need constant progress, but you need to outstrip the speed of their progress. So people, you know, who wanted quick progress, I would argue this is what quick progress looks like. To go eighth, eighth, fifth, challenging for first. That is quick progress. So if you wanted it sooner, I can't help you. But now we're in a place where the progress we've made, I think, has been normalized for a lot of people. Not everyone, but for some. Go figure. But it is what it is. We're so close to being able to do something special that the thought of missing out is crushing. And I'm no different in that regard. You know, I have had daydreams of the Premier League medal around Bukayo Saka's neck, Granit Xhaka standing in the middle of the Emirates pitch with the Premier League trophy above his head, Erdegaard lifting the trophy, ticker tape falling, Arteta cheering on from the side. I've had daydreams of it. I know you have too. So when you're so close, all you think about is doing the thing. And I think for some, that kind of adds to the anxiety, um, particularly given you know the degree to which City dominate, the form of the likes of Liverpool in recent seasons, the money coming into Newcastle, what United could be if they fixed up. The reality is, I think for some people, they aren't sure that we'll be in this position again anytime soon. And that makes the anxiety ratch up to 100. And I get that. But equally, I don't think this team will go bad overnight. If we add quality to this side, we'll be even better than we were this season. So as good as other teams will be, will they outstrip the speed of our progress? Maybe, but I'm not so sure. I think we're in a good place and I think we'll be in a good place for a little while. But as I said, you see how quickly things can change in the, in, in you know the space of a couple of seasons. So what I do think is, while we're set up to do well for, you know, the foreseeable future, you need to take advantage of the moment that presents itself. One of the beautiful things about football is there's always next season, but you can't always look to forever. Sometimes you have to win now. We've dropped points in games for different reasons. You know, the Liverpool one, I, I just think it was a case that Liverpool turned up. We did well to hang on. I think the West Ham one, we got complacent. I think the Southampton one, individual errors on the night cost us. That's that's how I see it. 
Whether or not there's individual errors or about pressure, I'm not sure. It kind of looked like it, but genuinely, I'm not sure. We dropped points in three different games for three different reasons. But we had a healthy buffer on Man City. So the benefit of those buffers is, well, you drop points and you're still in a good position. The problem, of course, is that between those drop points, Everton, Brentford, Newcastle earlier, Southampton even earlier, it's it's too, too many drop points. You know, for me, given the couple of games in hand they'd have, the difference in the running fixtures, I think we needed that seven-point buffer going into this game. That was my personal feeling. I I think we needed that at least seven or eight points um, because the City side are just so prolific going into the last games of the season. But it's fine. We don't have it. It's in our hands still. It's in their hands, but it's in our hands still. So what do we have to do? Well, for one thing, we desperately need to improve our defensive record. The Sleeper News hit with an Orn bomb on Monday. You know, Ornstein... Um, reporting for The Athletic, confirming that it looks increasingly likely that Saliba's season is done. Now, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, really. Um, Back injuries are no joke, and you just do not want to risk that this is a persistent problem for the duration of Saliba's career because he is too good a player to be ruined by a mishandling of an injury when he's young because of a sort of desperate short-term desperate need. You don't want to do that. Back injuries can be debilitating over time. So you just don't want to do that to him as a person, as a professional. You want to protect his career. We can't risk his health and his career. If he needs surgery, he should be allowed to get it. The sooner he gets it, the sooner he can recover and the sooner he can get back to to doing what he does best. Look, the season's the the summer's coming up. Plenty of time to recover. You know, give him proper rehab. Do it properly. Don't rush him. He's back for the new season. Now, if he doesn't need surgery, great. But all the reports coming out suggest that the injury is a bit worse than suspected. So we'll see. Um, and look, the fact he wasn't available for Southampton, to, in my mind, meant he was never going to be available for Man City um, because you're not going to chuck him cold after being out for weeks. So this, as I say, I don't think it's a surprise for anyone. Um, but it is disappointing because we know how important he is for us. You know, I was listening to the Handbrake Off podcast and they mentioned the stats with and without him, right? So with Saliba, 27 games, 0.9 goal against per game, 78 win percentage. Without him, five games, 1.8 goals against per game, 40% win percentage. That is a massive drop. Now, obviously, there's a big difference in sample size there, but it does kind of ship support what the sort of fabled eye test shows right that we are weaker without him and you know for people who think that where you know some of us are over exaggerating the importance of Saliba I do think you have to go back to the start of the season the middle of the season and see the just how good his performances have been to see how composed he is to see his speed in races in the defensive half spaces when he's defend defending half, you know, outside of the pitch by himself, the way he's able to drop a shoulder, get an angle for a pass and just break lines with a pass into our midfield or attack. These are things that we're not just talking about Rob Holding. These are things the majority of centre-backs can't do. The majority of centre-backs can't do the things that Saliba does. You know, he instantly jumped into the top 10 most valuable centre-backs in the world in the space of about five weeks in this season because it's so abundantly clear how different he is to most other centre-backs available. And we're talking about a 21-, 22-year-old. So let's be clear here, because a lot has been said about Rob Holding, and we need to be very precise and clear about what we're saying here. 
the issue isn't the inclusion of Holding. Rob Holding being included in the squad isn't the issue. The issue is the absence of Saliba and what that does to our play because our play has been dependent on players with specific superpowers. Our ability to control games and dominate to the degree that we have, which has contributed to the degree of our success, is predicated on having players who can do things that other players simply can't do. When you listen to other footballers who we've played against talk about playing against us, these are other professional elite footballers talk about playing us and you see the the fear and the admiration and the respect that they have for our football because it is top class. That's because Erdegaard is turning into the sensational player that everyone knew he could become. Gabriel Jesus, phenomenal. Zinchenko, his movement is passing incredible. Saka, Martinelli, borderline unplayable at times. So then when you have Gabriel and Saliba at the back, it's just a complete shutdown job. Genuinely. So we cannot pretend because he's not Maldini or Nesta or Beckenbauer or, you know, that he's not sensational. Saliba is a phenomenal centre-back who would have a, a shout for walking into most top clubs in the world. Genuinely. That's not that's not hyperbole. He is that good. Um, but look, our defensive issues didn't just start with Saliba getting injured. Right? Tifo Football did a great video um, on Arsenal's defensive record post-World Cup a few weeks back. And it shows just how many big chances we're giving up as compared to before the World Cup. Big differences in how other teams approach us, for example. They're showing us a lot more respect now than they did. Before the World Cup, they were just coming at us, you know, trying to bully us off the ball, trying to be overly aggressive. And we just pop it around them because we have the technical security, the technical ability to play around them, play around the press, burst into space and just kill them. By the time we came back from the World Cup, teams realized how good we actually are and stopped it. You remember the the series of defensive blocks we faced post-World Cup and how much more difficult it was for us to create chances? That's because teams started to respect us more. Um, but because they approached the games differently, we started dealing a lot more with teams trying to win the ball higher up the field, teams um, working more on the counter-press, or teams who did sit back in a deep block, um, being able to then transition, transition on us more effectively because they played a more targeted deep block um, with very specific and very direct exit routes to try and counteract the space we leave him behind. So in essence, post-World Cup, we started giving away more and more high-value chances, leading to more goals and a weaker defence. So when you factor all of that in mind, it doesn't really bode well for us in a game against the team with arguably the most dangerous attack in the world and certainly, you know, in the league. This is our longest losing streak against Man City. We've lost 11 Premier League games in a row against them. We need to be more clinical, no doubt. You know, I think Liverpool outshot us. I think West Ham outshot us. Um, but 11 games in a row losing to Man City is unacceptable, whatever the circumstance. Luck, variance, chance, you know, the the theory of probability suggests we should have lucked our way to a win or even a draw in that time. So 11 losses in a row is ridiculous. So with our defensive... Um, work not being as good going up against a team with one of the best attacks in the world if not the best attack in the world how the hell do we win really is is the point 
well, look, I'm not one of those people who's defeatist going into games. Like I said, I think the period of the last five or six or seven years or so going to City games away, I never really expected to get anything. So my brain just used to sort of write that game off, not as a loss so much as just a, I really don't care about it. I, I would just write it off. But I have seen going into this game a lot of um, attempts at trying to figure out some kind of game plan that, in my opinion, is born out of fear. People are scared about what happens if we go to the Etihad with Rob Holding in centre-back. And so they're trying to galaxy brain any type of solution to try and account for the d- the deficiencies that we've seen. You know, it's all over the timeline in the dreaded For You tab on the socials. People trying to, like, you know, party at right back and Jorginho in midfield or Kivio at right centre-back or going to a back three with Tierney at left centre-back. And if you're having to do all of that, then, um, yeah, you're in trouble. We've got to the top of the league by playing our positional football with our left-back inverting. You know, going back to previous systems will lead to the kind of inconsistent results we had when we went to those systems previously in Arteta's first couple of years. Now, I know the playing personnel is drastically different, but... It's our style of play that has led to us being this dominant this season. You change that style of play, you give up the dominance. And if this team gives up the dominance against a team like Man City, who are as dominant as they are, you're going to have problems. I mean, we've seen them go up against teams like Bayern Munich and just wash them. You know, we can't we can't go into those games playing like a, a mid-table team. It just it, it's not something we can do. We have to trust our ability and trust that we can go toe-to-toe with them and beat them. That's my that's my personal opinion, but I, I'm going to caveat it, to be honest. Look, positional play allows us to overload attacking areas, control the ball high up the field, counter-press effectively. The issue is when teams go long or against us in transition, we're not winning second balls. Holding is not a big space defender, so you know it pushes our defensive line back. This impacts the distances between the players. And also, you know, holding's less tidy on the ball, so there's more giveaways. Um, in a, in a highly contested elite sport, elite sport, these margins make all the difference. So yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one, but I'm not defeatist about it. I think we just have to work out solutions, and that's what Arteta will be working on right now. Now, don't get me wrong; a change in shape is one way of doing something unexpected and taking advantage of of a city side. Particularly if you if you feel there's going to be a slight disparity in ability, then um, you know, you can kind of do something maybe unexpected and uh, catch your opponent off guard. The problem for me is that City are such a multifaceted and fluid side that they can adapt to multiple shapes and formations. So I think Arteta referenced this in his press conference. They can play with a box midfield. They can play with a diamond. They can go to a 4-2-4. So any changes that we come up with, they can adapt to in-game. So then they've adapted to our play with the quality of players that they have. And we're playing an unfamiliar formation, at which point we probably then have to go back to the tried and tested, and then they go back to their tried and tested. So I think against some teams, that might work. But against a team this good, I think all we do is put ourselves in a position of playing an unfamiliar style of game against a exceptional opponent. And let's be clear, these formations, these um, roles, these tactics are drilled into the players. It's drilled into them over time and time and time and time. You know, we spoke about going out of Europe and Arteta having all of midweek to basically drill his ideas into the players. To 
sort of come up with an entirely new plan that the players haven't used for the entire season to implement it in this game with a space of a few days to learn it up against this opponent, I personally, I think you're asking for trouble. I think that goes horribly wrong. I think the nerves of the day, the pressure from City, I think someone makes a mistake and that's a problem. I, I really don't think that's a good idea personally. But, you know, we've seen it before where, for example, Wenger was under pressure in the the sort of later stages of his time at Arsenal. He went to the back three um, to protect the plays he had. We've seen Arteta go to a back three to protect the plays he had. For for all the talk that I've seen from some people that Arteta, you know, is too rigid and doesn't and doesn't make changes quick enough. I've seen him in his time at Arsenal go from a you know four two three one to a three five two to you know back to a four two three one to a four three three. It, so to now the positional play that we see where it's sort of like a three two five. So in his time at Arsenal, he has showed no issue whatsoever in changing shape and approaching games differently where needed. So while I don't think it's off the table that he does something like that here, I just think the team he's built now, he's going to trust these players to go out and do it, playing the football that got, that's got them here this season. And if it's not good enough, then it's not good enough. And I think that's the way we kind of have to, to have to see. I, sometimes amongst some things, I think we have this thing of feeling like there's always a solution. There's always this sort of galaxy brained idea and tactic that no one's ever thought of before that will somehow, if we put it in, we'll just magically find the formula and win. And sometimes actually it's about your players being good enough on the day to get it done. And, you know, you can overthink things. What's one of the things that Pep's been accused of in chasing the Champions League, of overthinking things, when actually, if he'd have just carried on doing the thing that got him there all t- all season, he may have had a greater chance of success. It's a similar thing here. I think if Arteta were to go do something completely different and lose, people would turn around and say he galaxy-brained it, he's just like Pep, he's trying to be like Pep. And if he doesn't change it and loses, people will say, oh, why didn't he change it? Blah, blah, blah. It's very results orientated. I do think to some degree, you have to trust your players to go get it done. And if they don't, they don't. Now, he'll be, see- he'll be seeing them day in, day out. He'll know whether he needs to change something because it's not working. If he watches them in training and he sees the players just aren't performing, he might think, okay, I've got to change it because these players just aren't aren't doing what I need them to do. But if he's going into training and he's seeing them perform in training and around the building, because don't forget, we think of game day as the as what matters, right? How they play on the weekend. And of course it does because it's about the three points. It's about getting the win on the day. Of course, it's what everything is geared towards. But the majority of the players' time is behind the scenes. It's what they do in training. It's how they comport themselves around the building. It's who they are around the club and how they fulfill their duties, how well they train. That is the thing the manager sees. And then it's game day. So... He's going to be looking at how these players are for this entire time and deciding whether or not he needs to change something based on what he sees as their ability to deliver on the day. So if they're not doing it in training, he may feel they need to change something. But if he's looking at them in training and they're doing everything that they've been doing for the entire year to the same level or close to it, why would he change it? In the same position, you probably wouldn't. You know, if you see if you see people doing the same thing that's worked the entire time, you've been in charge of a particular project, you're not going to suddenly change it because you fear what what comes next. You only change it if you see something that makes you think you need to change it. Now, I know we've talked about the holding and the defensive line and everything else. The question isn't, you know, 
do we need to find a way to tweak things slightly to account for that? The question is, is the only solution to that to Galaxy Brain something completely entirely different that he's never tried before? That's that. I think that's my difficulty with with a lot of the solutions I'm seeing people come up with. It's these roundabout ways of shifting around multiple players to account for one person missing. And as brilliant as that one person is, you know, we saw for the first couple of years of Arteta's reign something you got crushed for when he lost Tierney at left back. Rather than just playing your backup, moving around multiple pieces to account for that one piece. And he got slaughtered for it. Absolutely slaughtered for it. Now people are begging for him to do the same thing they slaughtered him for like a year ago. So I just, I do think at some point we have to accept that sometimes injuries happen, they suck, and that's why you have a squad. And that's that's what it is. Um, now look, if you told me we can get an early goal, then maybe I'm thinking to myself, there's a change in approach, right? Maybe we're closing down central spaces, we're just trying to, you know, struggle to get them to play through the line so that we can sort of break on them. But unless we get an early goal, I don't know about that. And even then, you know, maybe that might have been a thing earlier in the season when they were struggling to connect Holland and De Bruyne. And, you know, I say struggling, he was still bagging ridiculous amounts of goals. But, you know, maybe that would have, but by this stage of the season, they figured it out. Stones in midfield, De Bruyne is putting in those balls early for Holland. They're going long. Holland's bringing the ball down. De Bruyne is winning the second ball and setting Holland off. They figured it out. So, I don't like the idea of making any shifts that invites that kind of pressure onto our doorstep. I just, I'm, I'm not feeling it personally. Um, City's 16 game unbeaten streak is impressive. And as I said before, that's six in a row in the league, but they have kept just two clean sheets in their last 10 games. Um, so we need goals. Then again, um, we've scored three goals in our last 10 games against them. So there is an argument that we're maybe not going to be able to outgun them. Now, you know, when I think back to our last 10 games against them, think about some of the players who played in those in those games. So it's a different team now to, to the team that was there. But still, some might argue we're going to struggle to outgun them. So what do we do in that situation? Maybe the answer lies in Anfield 89. We needed two goals. So people thought that we might go more, more you know, attacking, more aggressive to get them. But instead, George Graham wanted us to stay stable, to stay compact, keep that defensive line in shape, you know, stay in the game, see if we could snatch a goal. And once we had that one goal, they'd come on to us. Knowing that they were such a brilliant attacking team, they'd come on to us and then we'd hit them on a break and get the second. It worked. Michael Thomas did it. Anfield 89, we know the story. So I do wonder whether maybe there's a lesson to be learned there. And actually, rather than sort of trying to go toe-to-toe with them, just be slightly, slightly more conservative. Focus on defensive stability. Focus on the the passing lanes and the shapes. Keep them out of the game. Use Martinelli's speed to break on them into defensive half spaces, supported by runs from Saka and Jesus. You know, we have a fantastic pressing centre forward in Gabriel Jesus. Maybe we need to learn lessons from Anfield 89. I think the only thing for me is just putting ourselves in a position where we're giving up space for the likes of De Bruyne and Grealish and Holland does not sit well with me in the slightest. That That's my only issue. So there'll be times in the game when they push us back. There'll be times in the game where we push them back. But I just don't like the idea of, of anything that kind of invites that kind of pressure. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But what I do think is that the first goal is going to really matter in this game. 
we're not great when we take the lead, statistically speaking. Um, we seem to perform better and create better um, sort of XG of chances when we're chasing a game rather than when we take the lead. But I do think in this game, if they take the lead, the degree to which we're going to have to go at them to to recover because we need the win will leave us exposed in a way that we just can't. That's my theory anyway, particularly withholding in defense. So I do think the having getting the first goal and having something that we can not just hold on to and protect, but something that can give us the impetus to let us know that we can do it, I think is the important thing. I just don't want these players going into this game with fear. We rotated in the FA Cup. We played our, you know, quote unquote, sort of rotational options and they beat us by one goal. And it was great play by Grealish and Nathan Ake put it in the corner. It really, you know, that the the with the the game at the Emirates, individual errors, moments of individual brilliance from them, that's really was the difference. So if we can cut out the individual errors, we have every chance of getting something from this game. The problem is, of course, with all of the drop points we got, we now need a win. But that's of course assuming that City don't drop points later on in the league. You know, a draw somewhere else materially changes things. So you know, it is that age old thing age old thing of we need the win. But if you can't win, don't lose. And and that really is what it is. For us, of course, we know that we're gonna need the likes of Jesus and Sinchenko. Their quality this season has elevated us to a different level. They for you know, Zinchenko, Jesus, Saliba, that those three took us to a different stratosphere of performance this season. So we're gonna need Jesus and Sinchenko at their best and i have no doubt that they'll be at their best while you know we know that um they can both get a little bit emotional at times i do think that they'll go into this game with a correct mindset they've done the run-ins before they know what it takes so i have no doubt that they'll go into this game mentally prepared to do what they need to do to, to help us get the win i have no doubt about that um the next player who we're not sure if uh, he'll play is Granite Xhaka. He was unwell before the Southampton game. By all accounts, doesn't sound like he's trained yet. The question is whether he's training um, in, in advance of the game um, to, to be able to then play. Hopefully he can because I just think that, you know, I feel bad for, for Vieira in some sense because he hasn't played much football and coming into high-pressure football matches of high pace and high speed, when you haven't played much, you know, it's starting an engine cold, right? Um, but that is sometimes required of you, right? A player gets injured, is unwell, gets suspended, whatever it is, and you have to step in and immediately match the pace of everything and everyone. And Vieira didn't do that. Shaka's ability to get forward, get into attacking positions and score, but also his sort of more box-to-box abilities of, I can't believe I just said that about Shaka and box-to-box. I just... Maybe Bengal was right all along. Um, but Shaka's ability to sort of get into the middle of the pitch, break up play, be a screen, win defensive headers, compete in midfield, you know, hold up the ball, all of those things that Granit Shaka does so well and has done so well for the last couple of years, Vieira is not doing. Um, so we, I do feel as though given what's going to happen with, you know, I mean, again, Pep might galaxy brain it, but I don't see him doing that for us. The likelihood of John Stone stepping into midfield alongside Rodri. Um, we need Granit Xhaka in that midfield because I do not think we will do well having Vieira in a midfield that has the likes of Rodri and Stones in it. So I think we need Xhaka's battling qualities in there to be able to to match that. So in the same way that I think um, 
holding impacts our defensive line and on the overall connectivity of our team. While Vieira and Martinelli get on well off the pitch, I think Vieira impacts our attacking lines and uh, connectivity in the final third. So I'm hoping that Shaq is fit and available and, and able to give their best, uh, give his best. Now, of course, we need Saka and Martinelli because honestly, if we're scoring goals in this game, it's coming from Saka or Martinelli. You know, the the game on New Year that we nearly won the other season, Saka and Martinelli, right? They're, they're who are getting our goals. So I have no reason to doubt that they won't be on their game. They're pretty much two players who always are. So fingers crossed that they'll they'll be in good form and on, on their business. Um, for Man City, the sensational, irrepressible, barely human Erling Haaland, you know, he's got 32 goals. Pep hooked him in time to make sure that a goal against us will break the record for him. Uh, I, there's nothing I can say. The guy is, as much as, you know, sitting and everything they stand for makes me sick. He is a ridiculous player. A ridiculous, ridiculous player. Um, the, 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 it's not that he's unstoppable in, in, in the literal sense of the word. That's not true. It's just that he has such a range of the ways he can kill you. It's ridiculous. You know, if you're defensive in a defending in a deep block, then De Bruyne just hangs a ball up at your back post and he is rising above everybody in your defense. You know, if you try and push up on them and win the ball high, he's sprinting in behind your defense. I, I, yeah, I don't really know what you do with him beyond just cover your defensive lines, you know, get uh, touch tight to your players shut them down, stop the delivery. The best way to stop Holland is to stop the delivery, which means, you know, the likes of um, Erdegaard, Shaka, if he plays, Partey need to get in on the likes of Rodri, on the likes of De Bruyne, on the likes of Grealish, Gundogan, and just stop the delivery early. Stop it before it can get there. Because if they hang that ball up and he gets that hang time, it's, it's going to be a long night for us. Um, if we push up and they play that ball in behind and, you know, he's going to be on Rob Holding. The the FA Cup semi-final, sorry, the FA Cup um, FA Cup game earlier in the season, Holding did well, but there were a couple of dicey moments where another ref, it could have gone another way. And, you know, Holding got the yellow card, had to come off at half-time. We can't afford for Holding to come off at half-time because if he comes off, it's Kivior on. And I'm not being funny, Kivior looks like a prospect. But if we put him on, against holding for 45 minutes in this game, that is Jogba and Senderos territory there. Um, and if you're an Arsenal fan of a particular vintage, you'll know exactly what I mean when I say those words. So yeah, I, I think the best way to stop Holland is to stop his service. And that means stopping the likes of De Bruyne, Grealish, Gondouan, and that is easier said than done, which is why I say for me, do what we've been doing all season. Get your players to be aggressive, be hardworking, win the ball out of the field, create those turnovers, press, counter-press, do our thing, get in, those, get, get in those attacking lanes, use the positional play. We saw that, you know, the likes of Bayern Munich were able to create chances. I just think that they created the chances that City wanted them to create. We saw that at the end of the game, despite the substitutions, Leicester got chances um, against them. Teams do create chances against them. You'll get them, you'll get the chances, but you need to be efficient. We can't waste chances. We, we have to be efficient when we get them. Um, 
we are top of the table for a reason. Look, we played 32, won 23, drawn six, lost three. We've scored 77, 34 against. We have 75 points. Man City have played 30. They've won 22, one less than us. They've drawn four, two less than us. They've lost four, one more than us. They have goals for, despite having Erling Haaland, who is an absolute monster, their goals for is 78. That's only one more goal than us. However, their goals against is 28 compared to our 34. So it's the goals against that have been killing us in terms of the goal difference. Their goal difference is 50, which is plus seven on us, and they've got 70 points. So if they win their two games in hand, they'd go to 76 points, would be one point above us. So if they win this fixture and win their game in hand, that's four points on us. So this fixture is really important. Um, now, don't get me wrong, we are still officially the best performing away side in the Premier League this season with 36 points from 16 games. Um, we've conceded a joint low 13 games on the road, um, but we've only scored... Um, well, sorry, while we have scored uh, twice in each of our last eight top flight games away from home, Man City, though, it's it's still the problem. It's still the problem. Like I said, we've lost each of our last 11 Premier League games against them. Um, last, I think, time we didn't drop points in the Premier League was a 2-2 draw back in 2017, I want to say. So it's, it's not particularly great um, for us. And look, we know, we think we know what City are going to do. They're going to play a 3-2-5. They're going to have Stones operate in midfield alongside Rodri and he'll drop into defence when they need. Um, and this is opposed to us who, you know, the ideal would, would be, unless something happens in, in the round of the game, the ideal would be to have Sinchenko at left back and he'll invert into midfield in build-up and, and to help us play through the press. So earlier in the season, City had the likes of Rico Lewis and Bernardo Silva try to be inverting from fullback and mixed success, shall we say. They obviously sent uh, Cancelo off to um, Bayern Munich because reportedly just being a bit too disrupted by his lack of game time. Um, and we did think to ourselves, that could be a big thing, right? They're losing the guy who was arguably their best de defensive player in terms of sort of best player in their defence. For, for a little while now and they bend him off so we thought okay well this this could be something but yeah City found a way to play they figured it out um, so what they'll probably do is use Edison to go long because we've been struggling um, with teams going long on us going direct so they might just use Edison to go long to Holland. Um he'll go up against Holding he'll choose to go up against Holding like, just like he did in the FA Cup game Um with Saliba, this would have been much more difficult just because of his size and speed and composure, his ability to sort of drop a shoulder and sidestep. But without Saliba and holding there, they absolutely will go long. And I think they'll do that because one, holding doesn't have the pace to keep up with um, Holland necessarily. Two, um, he's in a big space defender. And three, you know, we've been terrible at second balls recently. Now, on the one hand, Holland does seem to like a scrap. And holding loves a scrap. So that's one of the things we saw in the FA Cup game is that they just got into a good old-fashioned centre-forward, centre-back scrap, which is entirely holding's game. It's one of the reasons he did quite well. But the moment they unleashed Holland into space, it was a problem. Um, so we'll see whether or not City have learned from that and whether Arsenal have learned from that. Um, it recently, you know, speaking about the long balls previously, teams have gone long on us and, you know, we haven't been winning the second balls. This gets them further up the field quicker. It bypasses our press. And our failure to win those second balls breaks up our play, breaks up our fluidity. It gets their teams in dangerous positions quicker, um, creates 
better, more dangerous chances for them. And we've been punished for it to the fullest recently. Um, we're going to need to make sure that we compete better for those second balls, which is where the likes of Granite Shaka needs to come back in. He wasn't fantastic in a couple of games before we missed Southampton. So we need him not just back in the team, but back to his best. Um, we did say that, you know, Holding did well against Holland in the FA Cup fixture, but did get booked and taken off at half time. You know, as I said, we have no Saliba to swap with him at half time this time. Um, and we we know that uh, Arteta doesn't like the idea of left footed centre backs playing right centre back because it kind of cuts off the passing lanes available and puts them under more pressure. So, you know, it's Haaland versus Holding. And we're just going to have to hope that's enough. Otherwise, we probably will have to drop into a three at some point um, to take the pressure off. But even if Holland himself doesn't punish us, De Bruyne picking up the second ball will. So again, look at City's uh, goal against Bayern Munich in the second leg. Now they, of course, the they have the brilliance of play. You know, they've got ballers like Silva, like Gundogan, like uh, Grealish. They can play through us. They can cut through you like a hot knife through butter. So of course they have that brilliance to play through the press, um, to work the ball from right to left, to get Grealish on the ball, running at white, and you know, go inside to playing with Holland or wherever it is. Um. And if they get their counter press going, we could concede the kind of goal we, you know, conceded at the Emirates against City uh, for Grealish's uh, goal in their second. So it's not just being able to play through their press; it's being able to avoid the effectiveness of their counter press. We're going to need to be mindful of. So yeah, I mean, we're hoping that, as much as I never really wish it on people like that, we're hoping that Nathan Ake will miss the game because he. Um, one of the changes when we played them before was Bernardo Silva was in that inverted fullback position. Pep immediately saw it wasn't working, probably spent the first 20, 30 minutes of the game coaching Ake and um, Bernardo Silva through it. Eventually switched it at halftime. I think he brought on a Kanji. Ake went left back. Silva went to right wing and Maris came off. And basically Ake had Saka locked up pretty much for the rest of the game and then went on to score the winner. So, sorry, I'm confused. I'm completely the FA Cup. Yeah, Ake scored the win in the FA Cup and he had a Saka locked up at the Emirates. So, you know, hopefully Ake is missing because any advantage we can get in this game, we're going to need. Um, but for us, what do we need to do? For me personally, I'm on record as saying I think we need to play our style of football. I think we rotated against them in the FA Cup and our players were, were good enough to match them. I think we just need to play our football. I think our players need to execute it better. I don't think we need to come up with some galaxy brain style of football that we've never thought of before. I think we need to do what we do better than we've been doing it in the last few games. That is it. You know, Jesus gets a chance, you know, perform to perform better than you have been in, in terms of your XG and finish it. You know, Thomas Party gets the ball. Don't shoot from 35 yards, yards out just because the crowd shouts shoot, you know, make the sensible, make the sensible decision. Vieira, if you're the one playing, impose yourself. Shaka, do what you've been doing all season. Don't You don't need to inhibit yourself. You don't need to get caught up in any drama. Just focus on your football like you have been doing. Get into those attacking positions. Trust yourself to finish it off. Martin and Isaka, again, keep doing what they're doing. I think that's they, they have been two players who are consistent. Martin Odegaard, get your foot on the ball and be, you know, be brave. And that's it. I just think we have to be brave. Cut out the silly individual mistakes. Focus. Attention to detail. Um, focus on the execution of of um, the technique and play our football. You know, 
mentally go back to September, October, November and play our football. I don't think we have to do anything different. I think we play our football, we're good enough to get something against them. You have to hope they're having a bit of an off day. You have to hope they're not completely at their best. Sure, because we know if City are at their best, there probably isn't a team that can live with them bar maybe Real Madrid. So, you know, part of this is going to be hoping that City aren't at their best, but I don't think there is something different we do that magically gets something from them. I think if we go to a 4-2-3-1 with a double pivot, I think that's an option. But I just think it gives us less control in an attacking sense going forward. And really, formations aside, it's about roles and it's about... um, it's about roles, isn't it? It's about what you do on the pitch. So it's not so much about the formation at the start of the game. It's just about the roles the players play throughout the game. Now, when we're in our defensive shape, we can go for a 4-2-2 and just try and cover those defensive lines and then go into our positional play of a 3-2-5 um, when we're attacking. Whatever the case may be, I just think it's going to come down to those individual battles and our ability to execute and be efficient. I, I don't think it's anything more than that. And it might be an unsatisfying answer, but I just think sometimes the correct answers are the simplest and we can overthink things. And I think in this instance, us doing what we've done that got us here is the thing that will get us to where we want to go. I, I just do. I, I don't really see the need to do it any differently. Sure, there's the holding factor and sure, there's the way it impacts us. But I still think that from an execution point of view, if we do the things we need to do in the moments that we create, we'll still be good enough. You know, for all the talk of everything that happened in the last few games, Saka did still miss a penalty. Jesus still still missed the odd chance here or there. Trossard hit the bar. You know, despite everything we've said, we still had those moments. The difference is in this game, we have to take those chances. That's the reality of it. Um, yeah, in terms of lineups, I think for the most part, we know what to expect. Um, for City, I think the only player potentially missing is uh, is Ake. Uh, you know, they were heavily rotated for the FA Cup semi-final and their rotational players have, have been doing well recently. Phil Foden's back from surgery. Their backup goalkeeper Ortega was doing well. Sergio Gomez was doing well. Um, they've, you know, been given minutes to players like Palmer. And so, you know, they're, they're going to feel pretty comfortable having to rely on some of those players if need be, particularly the likes of Phil Foden to come off the bench. Um, but they're probably going to go with Edison, Akanji, Diaz. They're probably going to have to go with Laporte if Ake isn't there. Um, Stones and Rodri in midfield, Mares, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Grealish and Haaland. I think their, their squad picks themselves as much as our squad picks you know, ourselves. We know we don't have Tomiyasu, Elneny. We know we don't have um, Saliba. Question mark about Shaka. So it's a question of is it Shaka or Vieira? I'm going to assume Shaq is playing until we hear otherwise. So I just think that, again, the team picks itself. Ramsdale, White, Holding, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Shaka, Partey, Saka, Erdogan, Martinelli, Jesus. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not one who thinks we should be galaxy-braining at this point. I just think it's too late in the season for that. Um, like I said, you might be able to get away with it as a one-off, but I think against the City side, this quality playing as well as they've been playing, I think you risk more harm than good. But I'm happy to be proved wrong. Ultimately, it's just about the win. Whatever gets us the win... Let's do that. I really don't care. The winning is more important than being right. Um, so that's it from me. Um, probably the only thing left to say from my perspective is um, Arsenal women, uh, off the back of a battling 2-2 draw in the Champions League against Wolfsburg, had to stay in Germany for an extra day due to technical difficulties when their plane caught fire. Um, the pilot, thankfully, abort to takeoff. Thankfully, everybody's safe. No one was injured. Um but yeah, shout out to them for the 2-2 draw. 
still in the still in the the tie with a chance of doing something, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, just happy there, happy and healthy because my brain went to all sorts when I saw the headlines, but thankfully the headlines weren't representative of the reality. So yeah, good luck to them for the second um, second leg, and just yeah, thankful they're all happy and healthy. We also got the news that Maitland Niles, um, talking to the Athletic, confirmed he would be leaving um, the club at the end of the season on a free transfer. So it looks like Arsenal had the option to extend it for another year, but chose not to do so. Um, here's the thing. He's an academy player who broke into the first team, got an England call-up, has won trophies um, playing for the club, and he's leaving for free. He's a player who, at different points in his time at Arsenal, we could have got anywhere from 10 to 25 million for him. And he's leaving for free. And it's just a reminder, with the same, the likes of Iwobi and Willock, who's doing brilliant um, for Newcastle. And to be fair, after a rocky start, Iwobi is doing well for Everton, despite how how inconsistent they've been in the last couple of seasons. If you have an academy player doing well, and there are questions as to how they're going to fit, or whether or not you're going to be able to give them game time, it's better to get the money for them and input favorable terms regarding buyback clauses or first options than risk losing them for nothing. You cannot lose academy prospects for no money. These are different circumstances. These are special circumstances. We have a bunch of players who are currently on loan who we are going to lose for next to no money. They are legacy issues that we're still resolving now. The likes of Runison, we're going to lose Pepe for next to nothing. If not, we're going to lose him for nothing. Um, these some of these players are on way more money than they're worth and these legacy issues still persist hopefully this summer should be the end of that um, although depending on whether or not we loan out some players who have 12 months left or whether we manage to get rid of them that remains to be seen but I just do feel strongly that if you have players who have come from your academy broke into the first team played more than 50 games for you in the first team got called up by their international team and won trophies, the fact you're losing them for free is appalling. We know why, we know the historical issues, but let's try to put that to an end. Um, I can understand why the club didn't take up the additional year because we would have done it and still not come to an agreement about what to do with the player. Um, so I can I can see why the club just decided against the headache of doing it. But it's just a shame that we're going to literally get nothing for the player. Uh, lastly, just want to say good luck to Arsenal under-18s and the Youth Cup final against West Ham under-18s. I'll be there tonight to cheer on the boys. Um, West Ham will go into the fixture favourites, but we have, we've we had a good season in the competition so far. The likes of Kozia Dubry, the right-back Rosiak, Ethan Enwaniri, Raw Waters, Amari Benjamin, who's bagged 13 goals at under-18 level this season, and the likes of Lewis Skelly, who's um, really impressing as well. All of them should be on display um, and have all contributed to the, to, to get into the final in meaningful ways. This is our 10th Youth Cup final, and we've previously won eight of them. So we have a you know pretty rich history in this competition. I think only United and Chelsea have won it more, I think. Um, so yeah, you know, previous winners for us include the likes of J. Emmanuel Thomas, Henry Lansbury, Craig Eastmond. If you're a, a Arsenal fan of certain vintage, that that those names will mean something to you. But also the likes of Francis Coughlin and one Jack Wilshire, of course, who will be leading the side on the night. So just want to say good luck to the young gunners. Um, if you're getting down there, be sure to make some noise, be in good voice, lend them your support. Let's make the home uh home support count. And yeah, let's go get it done. Anyway. 
that's it from me people that's uh end of this episode thank you very much for listening please do you know sub- subscribe follow like retweet repost share all of that good shit um do let us know if there's anything you want to talk about get in the comments get in touch always happy to hear from uh fellow gooners on anything and everything to do with the club that's it from me people we know what we have to do this is the big one this is the one we've been waiting for this whole time there's nothing else to say but come on you gunners in a bit people in a bit Gabriel Martinelli!